Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. Love it that you have joined us this morning. Excited to start a new series called What is Love? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. So now that we got that out of our systems, all right. Uh, some of you don't get the reference at all, and God bless you. Uh, in the name of Jesus. Um, some of you, when you first saw like a month ago when we're like, what is love? Like this series is coming. All you could think about is the 1998 film, Night at the Roxbury. And so we just now, we all got that out of our system. And you can know, especially if you are new with us today, this series will have nothing to do with that movie or that song. It will have everything to do with the love of God and how the love of God informs and affects all our relationships. And so we're going to take the next 10 sermons to talk about that. We're starting today with what is love, and then we're going to see how it informs marriage and conflict and, and communication and sex and money and parenting and friendship and singleness and dating. And we're just going to do the, the full spectrum to see how the love of God impacts our relationships. And we're not just going to do 10 sermons. We have uh, 10 weeks of a, a study guide that hopefully you got when you walked in. Did you guys get this? Yeah, so you got this, and, and this is how you'll get the most out of this series. Here's the reality. Relationships are hard, amen? Relationships are messy. Uh, parenting, friendship, marriage, the whole singleness, dating, the whole thing is, is, is hard. And one hour a week, even for 10 weeks, can't change that, Right? It can't bring healthy, vibrant relationships across our church. But, but if you invest and put your hand in during the week and say, hey, I want to invest and I want to go further. I want to see how Sunday sifts through my Monday and Wednesday and Friday and the whole week. Then God can change your relationships and our marriages and our dating relationships and our friendships and our families and the whole church. Right? And so this is what... Uh, that is for, I wrote this uh, with you in mind, with this series in mind, so it, it really just corresponds with each week, so I encourage you to, to get together with a friend, get together with your spouse, and go through it over a meal or a coffee to get the most out of what God has for us. When we started the church uh, five years ago, if you're new, five years uh, in the end of September, we'll celebrate, have a big party at the end of this month, five years as a church, and when we started the church, we knew a few basics like of what the church was going to be about. We knew that we were going to be a Jesus-centered church. We, we knew that we were going to be a Bible-based church. We knew that we were going to be community-focused and mission-minded. Like that came to the surface really quickly, really easily. But what took longer to sift through was like, okay, yeah, those are the basics. But what really marks us? What defines us? And this phrase that some of you have seen, love moves, quickly came to the surface. And we just thought, hey, as we start, specifically as we start a new church, hey, we're not aligning, we're not starting a new group of people, a new assembly, we're not starting a new organization that is simply tied together over some similar religious beliefs or some moral teachings. Hey, we're not simply joining together as a people because we all have the similar affinities or commonalities or religious or political views. Hey, what really marks our church? Like, why would you start a new, like, why does somebody even do that? We are aligning together. We said, we are aligning together because we have encountered, we have experienced the extravagant love of God through Jesus Christ, so much so that we can't help but express it to others. 
And the way we said it specifically is that we are imperfect people who have been moved by the perfect love of Jesus to start a church, to proclaim the gospel, to practice it in our jobs, neighborhood, and hobbies, to change the city with the love of Jesus that we have first experienced. And so love, if you're new, marks our church. Love marks all relationships, right? And, and I feel like as some of you hear that, you're like, okay, Tim, well, I mean, that, I, yes, yeah, I agree, amen. Love should mark relationships. Like, yeah, I, I don't have any disagreement with that, but here's the disagreement, here's the rub, is what do we mean when we say love? I, I would guess in this room, we all have different definitions and descriptions of love. Here's what I mean. I love Jesus. I love my wife. I love the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> now, what's different about those three statements? It's not merely the object of love, right? I mean, the Cowboys are God's team, but, you know, I mean... <laughs> They're different objects. I mean, I'll give you that. They are different objects of love. But what's different is just the inherent meaning of the word love, right? And so we have to all be clear. As we start a relationship series, what is love? Like, what is it? Like, what kind of love are you supposed to express in your marriage, in your friendships, in your family? And so we're going to look at that. We're going to look at that in the passage we just read, 1 John 4. So grab a Bible. Uh, get that in front of you. Pull it up on your phone. 1 John 4, and we're kind of parachuting in here. So you need to know, the book of 1 John, it is a love letter. Uh, 46 times we see the, the word love mentioned in this book that, that John was called the beloved disciple of Jesus. This, this letter, this whole book is saturated with love. And so we're going to look at this passage to see what does love actually look like? How do we define it? How do we describe it? It starts, 1 John 4, look at verse 7. John starts off really simply. He says, beloved, let us love. Now, literally, that means those who are loved, love. Right? And John begins to set up a, a sequence that we're going to see in this passage. But we don't just see it in this passage. We see it in all of the Bible. And listen, you need to listen. We're going to look through the, the verses and see this sequence repeated. But you need to get it because this sequence is how love, how life works. That if we get the sequence wrong, if we reverse the order, if we get it backwards, that, that marriage won't work, that relationships won't work, that friendship, that family, it, it won't work. But if we get the sequence right, if we understand what comes first, then everything else will flow from that. All right, we see the sequence. John lays it out for us clearly. Verse 7, look at the verse. He says, let us love one another. Why, John? For love is from God. Verse 8 if you don't have love, well, you must not know God because he is love. Verse 10 and later in verse 19, it says, we love because he first loved us. Verse 11, God loves us, then we love one another. Jesus in the gospel of John chapter 13, he says, as I have loved you, so love one another. You see, this is a significant sequence that before we can express love, we must first embrace love. And some of us see that and we're like, well, Tim, I, 
I want to express love. I'm not sure if I know how to. And, and expressing love is hard. And relationships we've already covered are, are hard and they're, and they're difficult. And, and I would guess if we polled everybody in this room, we would all say, like, as we're here today at the start of a relationship series, like, I don't want an awful marriage. Right? Like, if you gave me a few options on a quiz and said, like, good marriage, bad marriage, I would choose the good one. Right? If you gave me some options of like, hey, a healthy relationship with your kids, like one where they obey, but they don't just obey, like you have fun together. Your lives are full together. You're leaving a legacy of faith, like as a parent, like, like all of us would say like, I want that. I don't want annoying kids. I want faithful kids, right? I don't want relationships, friendships that are filled with drama and conflict. Like I want ones that encourage me and exhort me and like, like all of us would say, like, I want that option. But the reality is, we can't fully express love until we have embraced it. We can't give what we first haven't experienced. And so John sets up this sequence. It's really important. Hey, you love God. He loves you. Then you love other people. And we have to get that sequence. The reality is, most of us, we, we don't get that God loves us. How, how do I know? Uh, I have three kids. And I see it every one of their birthdays and Christmas. And my kids are older now. Uh, and used to, we could hide presents really easily. Like, we could just put them in our closet. And they would just be like, oh, I don't even know what that is. But now, like, we hide them like stealth mode. And they still find them, right? And, and here's the deal. We, like, we wrap them, right, so they can't see what it is. But they're smart. And they can kind of see by the size and the shape. And not only that, but they, they'll, they'll find the presents and they'll like run around the house with them. And here's what inevitably happens. They find the present, they run around the house with them, and somehow, some way, some wrapping paper comes off. And we'll catch them on that and be like, I see, like, guys, the Lego logo is showing. Like, what happened here? And our kids are just like, I don't know, like I was just running through the house and I tripped and fell on my fingernail. It snagged the wrapping paper and I, I just, it opened, I'm like, that, no. <laughs> and you see, you, they, they, they know they're loved, but they need to see the gift, right? The reality is all of us, not just kids on birthdays, but adults in life are looking for love. We're grasping at it. That promotion at work, like, not just like, I hope I get one one day, but like, I'm consumed day and night with the promotion, the bonus, does my boss affirm my work? Does what I do matter? And we're looking and we're scraping and we're grasping for, for love. We're, we're doing that in our relationships and we come home from a long day at work and, and our wife just says like, hey, can you do the dishes? And you're just like, do you not love me, woman? Like that's the first thing you gotta say to me is do the dishes? Like, I, do you even know what I experienced today? And we're grasping and we're looking and we're searching for love. And see, I think, again, if we took a quiz today and you said, hey, does God love you or hate you? All of us would check the box that God loves you. But functionally, we don't live like that. Functionally, we are looking everywhere we can, searching everywhere we can to know that we are loved. And so it's no wonder that in our relationships horizontally, we don't experience love, health, vibrancy, because we don't know vertically we are loved. And John's saying, hey, you got to get the sequence right. 
You have to fully embrace that you are loved before you can ever think you're going to express it to others. So, God loves us, but he doesn't just say it, he sends it. Like he wants, he knows we won't realize it, he knows we won't fully embrace it, so he doesn't just say it from heaven, he sends it. Look at the text with me. Twice in this passage, you see this word, God sends, sent. God loves, how do we know? He sends. What's the sequence? God loves, he moves. What's crazy to me about this is what John says is God sends not just his word, not just an angel, not just a prophet, not just a nice guy. God sends who? Jesus, his only son, the most valuable thing in his life. God loves and God sends something of incredible, immense value. How do we know God loves us? He, he sends Jesus. And what's crazy is where does he send him? To a church? He sent him to a monastery? A holy, secluded place? No, John says, verse 9, God sends Jesus into the world. Now, that could easily, see, easily say God sends Jesus into the mess. The world is messy, amen? God sends Jesus into that mess. Uh, I was thinking about it this week, and I just went on CNN.com, just how our world's messy. This is uh, the homepage of CNN.com, Friday, September 6th, 2019, just a few of the headlines. First one, Zoe Deschanel splits from her husband. A woman was pecked to death by a rooster. <laughs> Messy. A woman tries to smuggle newborn in bag. Uh, lest you think I just chose all the bad headlines, here's a positive one for you. Sony releases a Walkman for its 40th anniversary. Oh. <laughs> the next one, a, a study shows that living here puts you at higher risk for suicide. And it didn't say where here was. That was the clickbait. And I didn't click on it. The last one, Demi Lovato, singer. Demi Lovato is done editing her swimsuit pics. You go, girl. <laughs> right? The world is a mess. Right? That's just Friday. The world is a mess. And here's what I want you to just try to wrap your mind around. Just really try to grasp and imagine God became flesh and entered the mess. God in the flesh walked in this mess. God sent Jesus into the world. And some of you are thinking, well, Tim, that's September 6, 2019, like CNN.com. Like, they didn't have the mess back then. Like, when Jesus showed up on the scene, like, baby in a manger, like, everything was quiet, calm, meek, and mild, right? I mean, they didn't have anything to do back then to be messy, like, they just went to church and prayed and fasted and pet sheep, right? Like, it was, it's messy now, but it wasn't messy back then. Like, when Jesus walked amongst the mess, like, there was no mess back then. And what I would say to you is, have you ever read the book of 1 Corinthians? Like, people are having sex with their moms. It got messy, right? It was so messy that Paul couldn't cover all the mess, and in one book, he had to write 2 Corinthians, right? 
And the whole Bible's like that. You should read it. Listen, the New Testament is saturated with, with mess. That is why it is 27 books. Because if it wasn't messy, like you wouldn't need, need six chapters in Ephesians. You wouldn't need 1st, 2nd John, 1st John, 2nd John, and 3rd John. You wouldn't need 27 books. Like you would just need one book with one line that said, keep up the good work. But we don't have that. Is that what your Bible says? No, it was messy. And Jesus, God in the flesh, he walked around in it. God sent him there. Why? Because love moves. Love sins. God doesn't look down at our mess. He doesn't look down at your mess and, and stay far away and say, I love you. I'm praying for you. I just want you to know, like, go ahead and love yourself. No, he steps into the mess. He sends his son into the mess. That love moves. And you realize this is the case in all of life. That's the way God loves us. That's what we embrace. That's what we express. I've shared this before, but when I realized I loved my future wife, I was sitting on a couch in my apartment in college. I was watching a game. And I realized something. Like this girl, like I don't think it's heartburn. I, she's causing some things in my, it's, it's different. Like I think I may love this girl. And I remember in that moment, I didn't just stay seated on the couch watching the game. No, what did I do? I got up, right? I got up and I started thinking about how can I show this love to this girl? Like, I, I want to express it to her. And so I made her a mixtape. <laughs> and, and, and I began to move more and I, and I figured out her class schedule, you know, just so I could happen to stumble into her on campus. Right? And when I began to realize, like, I have love, I, I wanted to express love, that love never stands still. It always moves, and it starts with God. The reason it works that way, get this, the reason we work that way is because God set it up that way. That's the way he loves you. So if you ever wondered, if you, if you still haven't embraced, does God love me? You just need to look at the cross. You need to look at the resurrection. You need to look at the incarnation. God loved you so much, he sent Jesus. He sent him into your mess, not just the mess of the world, into the mess of your life. Our first point, love moves. Our second point is this, love gives. Look at the last part of verse 10 with me. You see this word propitiation, that part of what Jesus accomplished at the cross was Propitiation, that's a theological word that literally means to satisfy the wrath of God. So love moves, it sends Jesus into the mess, but here's what Jesus doesn't do with the mess. The sin, the dysfunction, the wrath. He doesn't set it aside over here and say, hey, let's just not think about that. Like, let's just think positive thoughts and listen to positive, encouraging K-love, right? He doesn't just put it away to the side and say, let's ignore it because it's difficult to address. No, he, he not only addresses it, he absorbs it upon himself. He absorbs all the sin, all the mess, all the dysfunction, and the wrath that we deserve because of that. He absorbs that on our behalf at the cross. And, and what's amazing about that is that word propitiation, it doesn't just mean he absorbs wrath. It means he takes the wrath that we deserve and he turns it into favor. So if you can just picture a courtroom and you're standing there as a defendant and you are guilty as charged. 
and the judge is looking over you and he's about to sentence you to death. You're guilty, you deserve death. And just before the gavel hits the table, Jesus steps in and says, no, I'll take, I'll take your place. And the judge in that moment looks at the sinless son of God who's not guilty, who stands in your place, the guilty, and not only does he say, like, you're free to go, he says, you're righteous. Not only does he say, hey, you're free from the wrath that was coming to you, he says, you're favored. Not only does he say, hey, like, just walk outside and just make sure and don't screw this thing up, all right? Like, just make sure, stay on the sidelines. He says, no, you're, you're in the game. In fact, you're in my family. You are adopted. You are chosen. You are redeemed. You're righteous. Love gives. Love gives the Son of God. For God so loved the world, he gave. To absorb all the wrath that you deserve. To take your place. And not just that, but give you his favor propitiation. Love gives. And this is important for us to know because in our culture that is messy, that's full of crisis, particularly in moments of crisis, we get all confused about what love actually does, right? We think at times, specifically in crisis, like maybe a hurricane, which has just recently happened, we think love means you agree. We think love means you affirm. We think love tweets, right? I remember a few years ago, Hurricane Harvey, it was devastating. And I remember there was kind of chatter of like other things would go on and people would just be like online doing different stuff and talking about their kid's birthday or whatever. And, and people would get really mad. And this happens a lot. People would get really mad, really mad like, don't you care about Houston? Because you're not tweeting about it. And like the people on the other side, the people who would put the hashtags like, we love you, love Houston. Well, they must really love right? And we see this not just in crisis, but all over the place that for some reason, for us, like love equals agreement. Love, love just equals affirmation. Love equals like sitting from afar on your computer and typing a hashtag out or doing that on your phone. And John shows us a picture that love is not those things, that love has to give something. Jesus gave his life. And so as we think about love moves, love, love gives, love gives, you, you get off your computer to love. You get off your, your phone and you give your time, your talent, your treasure to someone else so that people know not just your love, but they know the love of God. Because why are you giving to me? Because God gave us everything. Love gives. And so we have to understand love. What is it? Love moves, love gives. The last point, love stays. Verse 11 through 13, we see twice this word abide. That word abide means to remain. It says us and him, God in us. Verse 12, we see love is perfected in us. Think about perfection. Uh, perfection doesn't just give it a shot and then walk away. Perfection doesn't just go halfway. No, what does perfection do? It sees it through to the end, all the way to the finish line, all the way till something is complete. That's what God's love is like. It abides, it remains, it, it stays. It goes all the way to the end. Love stays. 
How do we know love stays? John says, look at the verse, we have evidence. Verse 13, by this we know because he's given us his spirit. Ephesians 1 says we are sealed with the spirit of God that it has taken up residence within us. That when we doubt, does love, the love of God stay? When we doubt, like, does the love of God abide? Does it remain? How do we know it does? We have a seal on us. We have a guarantee. We have the Holy Spirit that has moved in. It's taken up residence. And we don't really see that. And we don't really believe that functionally. I mean, we, we not, we're not sure that God has actually moved all the way in. Like, God may be around my house, like, but he's kind of got one foot in the door, one foot out, right? I mean, he's still living out of boxes, right? And, and, and if God, like, he's in my house, like, but he's just kind of around and, and hasn't fully settled in yet. And if God saw what I did, like, if he saw my, my thought, word, and deed, my lust, gossip, and greed, He'd probably move out. Like, he'd probably get the moving truck, like, beep, beep, beep. Like, I did, I did not know what I was getting into with that sin. It's time to go. I'm out of here. And we, and we kind of think, like, God's around our house, but he's not really settled in our house. He hasn't taken up residence. He maybe doesn't stay. And when he sees our real lives, and inevitably he does, when he sees us actually screw up, not just the airbrushed Instagram version of us, but the real behind-the-scenes stuff in our lives, when God sees that, like, he's out the door. And what John is saying is no, that the love of God abides, remains, perfects, takes up residence within you. It moves in. God's not hanging, God is hanging up pictures on the wall. He's putting up curtains. He's not forwarding his mail. He has permanently changed his address. And he stays. Oh, Tim, how do you know? We're just supposed to take your word for it? No, the Holy Spirit of God seals you, guarantees that. He takes up residence within you permanently. And when you doubt that, on your dark days, in those moments of lust and gossip and greed, in those moments where you can fool everybody else on social media, in a quick 10-minute conversation, but you can't fool God, and you wonder, like, God, you've seen the darkest parts of me. You don't just see what I do with my hands. You see what I think with my thoughts. And I, I think you, maybe you moved out a long time ago. Maybe you are backing up the moving truck. And it's in those moments, the Holy Spirit is that voice to say, hey, when everybody else leaves, God stays. He seals you. He takes up residence within you because he loves you. Uh, I remember when my daughter was four years old, our first child, and we had to send her to timeout. And we hadn't done that a lot, uh, but she was having a rough Saturday, and we had to send her to timeout. And she goes to her room, and we're just like, hey, take five minutes. We set the timer. I went to my home office and was doing some stuff, working on the sermon for the next day. My daughter, after five minutes, she comes out into my home office, and she brings me a piece of paper with words on it. She's four years old. And she says, hey, Daddy, can you read this? So I take the paper Look at what she's written, four years old, and it just says, Neela, that's my daughter's name, it says, Neela is not. I was like, Neela is not, babe, what does that mean? Four years old, she looks at me and she says, Neela is not in the family. And 
She was in timeout for five minutes. <laughs> she was four years old, our first child, and I always kind of thought, like, as parents, like, we may need counseling down the road because parenting's hard. Like, in the teenage years, right? Like, when she goes off to college, like, but I'm like, Jaya, we need counseling now. Like, my four-year-old daughter, we just put her into timeout, and she's like, I'm not in the family anymore. <laughs> and so I remember that moment in my home office, sitting on the couch, and I pulled her to the side, my little four-year-old daughter, and I said, babe, you will never leave this family. Like, on your best day, on your worst day, you're in the family, right? Like, when you grow up, and when you get married, like, when you're 25 and you get married, or 35, or 45, you know, whatever God leads you to do. And when you get married, like later on in life, like way longer in life, when you get married, you're still in my family. Like till the day you die, you're part of my family. Like I love you. You see, the Holy Spirit of God that takes up residence within you, that abides, that remains, that stays, it's there to remind you. God is there to remind you. When everybody else leaves, I'm still here. When he disciplines you for your sin, he does that. Scripture tells us why. Because he loves us. He's still there. Love moves. Love gives. Love stays. So here, here's the question. This first series, Tim, how do we apply this? Here's the question. How do you need to embrace the love of God? The love that moves, the love that gives, the love that stays. How do you need to embrace it? What part, if you're honest, of that equation, love moves, love gives, love stays, is missing from the way you think about love? Like some of you think, well, yeah, God loves us kind of because he's supposed to. He's, he, he's God, right? And you need to see, no, he moved towards you. He gave his son for you. He gave. Love is self-sacrificing. He's proven it to you. Some of you think, and I think this is the hardest one for a lot of us, maybe God's love doesn't stay. And maybe the, the moving truck is backing up to my house because of what I did last night or because of what I didn't do or because of what I thought. And, and we're not sure, like, I don't know if I've embraced that God's love stays. And here's the reality. That affects your relationships. All the, the, the marriage that that is vibrant and healthy and we're best friends with one another, all the friendships that, not gossip, not drama, encourage me, let's do what matters with people we love, foxhole friendships, let's go forward into a bright future together. Like, like all the stuff that you want in relationships, it starts here. And if you, if you don't get God loves me this way, you won't be able to experience love and express love in your relationships this way, you first have to embrace it. So how do you need to embrace it? Because when you embrace love like this, you will extend it. It's like a beach ball that you're trying to hold underwater. It's gonna come to the surface, right? Tim, what do we do? Like, you just want us to embrace the love of God? Like, I need to do something. You will do something. You're gonna do something for the next 10 weeks. You will do something. Like once you receive the love of God, you can't hold it down. It will rise into your marriage. It will rise into your family. It will transform your friendships. But you first have to embrace it because then and only then will you stop looking in every crevice, in every corner for love so desperately, grasping for it, 
Only then will you stop looking for it in other places and realize I am loved. Now I can be liberated to extend love. You want your marriage to change? That's where it starts. You want your friendships, your dating life to change? That's where it starts. So my prayer for you today as we start this series is September 2008, or September 8th, 2019, that you would know you are loved, that you would embrace it. Let's pray. God, thank you that you love us. God, I thank you for every person in this room that had the courage to come today amidst their brokenness and amidst the mess that we all live in and to hear a word of, of love over their lives. God, I pray that we wouldn't just have a, a good feel, a feel-good moment of, of love, but we would have a lifetime of knowing we are loved, that love moves, love gives, love stays, that, that we embrace your love like that, and we can't help but express it that way. And so, God, I pray for every man and woman in this room that they would take a few moments now as we sing just to be honest and take an honest assessment of what, what part of me is, is missing the love of God. I, I can just recite it. I, I can know it. I can get it right on a quiz. But what part of me is not functionally living as I'm loved by the God of the universe? And that you would take that part and you would, your love would be sent and would be given and would stay in that part of our lives. And it would change us and therefore change all our relationships. God, we ask for your love to permeate this place in the name of Jesus.